Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello there, Josh. Hello, Christian Taylor. How are you? I'm good today, other than the fact I had two shots in my knees. That wasn't fun. Ah. Oh, <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> and uh, with us, speaking of horrible, no, I'm just kidding. Jason Rugg is with us. I'm trying to find a way to tie it in, and I, I'm sorry. No, it's not fair. It, it's very fair. <laughs> hey there. Hey, Hi, Jason. You look like you got a haircut. Yeah, I did. We uh, we did the family Christmas card photos, so I had to get a, a haircut, which is fun because we had to socially distance because my sister lives separate, so we had to try and you know space us out and try and make it look natural and. Yeah, it kind of worked. Uh, <laughs> I saw that you posted it online, didn't you? I think my mom did. Yeah, <laughs> I, it me. looked like you're. It was like uh, an album cover, you know. For like yeah, a, I'm like way in the back. My sister's way up front. <laughs> oh no! It no, looked like I some like like a a family Christian band trying to be cool, you know, like <laughs> you know, some some '80s band or something. I don't know, but uh, right, now I'm well, looking. If anything could ever be described as trying to be cool, it would be the Rug family. So <laughs> <laughs> it does look like a band postcard. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, glad you got that out of the way. Congratulations, that's better than we're going to do as a family, I think. <laughs> and it will always and forever be the postcard of 2020, or the yep. postcard of 2020. We wanted to get one with masks, but we left them in the car, so we just kind of. <laughs> Well, this is a warning to all of you out there. If you're planning to do Christmas cards, now's the time. So follow Jason's example. Oh, because everything's slower because of COVID? Because it's October, you know, it's October and time is ticking. Get them done. Got to get them printed. Yeah, I guess you're right. And, Hmm. you know, things are always slower to print and slower to, you know, Done. Uh, particularly with the election and all that, all the mail-in voting, I'm sure the mail service is going to get bogged down too. So it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. All right. But what are we here to talk about today? Uh, Christian's movie. <laughs> yes. I am a first-time filmmaker. <clears throat> all right. And I'm so first-time filmmaker. Um, it seems like something new is that happens every week. What's new this week? Yeah, well, the last time we spoke, we had the um, we had the La Femme Film Festival happening. That is now in our rearview mirror. It was a very interesting uh, exercise. I do think that it is going to be probably one of the tools used in film festivals going forward. I'm firmly convinced that the landscape of film festivals is definitely changing, as is the you know whole landscape of our industry. And this particular film festival is uh, using technology that was being beta tested. And it's a combination of Zoom and live streaming with YouTube and, you know, some sort of, I don't know, live, live stream interactive PowerPoint presentation tool. So the way that the tool worked, and it's called CYA Live, C-Y-A dot L-I-V-E. The way the tool worked is that it is a platform where you can invite people in by video and by chat. They can watch as passive observers. They can watch and text 
or they can request to be a part of the stage where they have the potential, you know, where they're a video and interacting with whoever the presenters are. And so think about it as, you know, you go to a movie theater and the main screen in the movie theater is what you're seeing in the middle of your screen. And on the bottom of it, you have the people that are giving the presentation and uh, the people giving the presentation put into the main screen whatever they want you to focus on, whether it's people, whether it's a slide, whether it's a trailer, whether it's the film. Um, so one person is sort of the switcher sitting behind the scenes trying to change out what's supposed to be on the screen, adding people from the chat that are just viewers that want to ask questions. And it's brilliant technology because you have a whole group of people that can be watching a film at the same time and have interactions after it's over. And you can also uh, type on documents together. You can, um, you know, add links from external links like YouTube and Vimeo in there. So there's lots of um, things that it can do when it works well. And the problem in this instance is we had a film festival with 160 films with lots of people doing presentations, as well as the film festival itself putting forth panels and, um, you know, comedy shows and all these other things. And what they asked the filmmaker to be the engineer and the switcher of all of this technology. So I had set up three live screenings, one on Friday, one on Saturday, and one on Sunday, where we invited people, we sold, you know, tickets through their system, and people came and attended to see the film and meet our cast and crew. And inevitably, the, the technology would crash, and I wouldn't be able to get to people at it or to talk, or it was... And I was having to engineer everything while presenting everything. Now, the only thing I'll say is the film, the screening as showing the film was the only thing I never had a glitch with. As soon as I pressed play, the film played for the 90 minutes and um, that was it. But I mean, there were so many variables. You had to have the latest version of Chrome. You had to wear headphones. You had to, there were all of these things. And because it was a new technology, even our watchers and viewers didn't understand it. So I know that all of those bugs will get aired out over time. People, this will be used for other things. People will eventually become familiar with it, like most people are with Zoom. And, um, but it was not as enjoyable a film festival as all of the others, I have to say. Did you get a lot of feedback from crew or friends or, or just viewers who yeah. participated? I will say that everybody was incredibly gracious. I think they all understood the newness of the technology and they really actually loved being there. A lot of our cast and crew have not seen each other or some of them haven't even met each other. And the highlight was that we were able to have two of our World War II veterans there, Willie Kellerman and C.O. Bauer. And we had Danny for two of the days. And the most touching moment was when Danny was there to thank the World War II liberators. And she got very emotional and began to cry. And then they began to cry. And it was a very tender moment that never would have happened outside of that technology. So 
I think people were very touched by that, including the film festival. They tweeted out a picture and talked about how wonderful it was to witness that. So um, I was just thankful to be in the festival. Honestly, it's a very LA Hollywood type glitzy film festival. And we did not get nominated for award or win anything, but uh, it really was nice to be included. And the director of the festival, Leslie Lepage, did say, I really saw your film. I love it. What do you need? I said, I need, you know, worldwide distribution. And she said, well, why don't you write me after the festival's over? I'm a producer's rep and I can help you. So that was great. So that was definitely valuable. And it was I think the highlight for me, too, there were a couple of filmmakers that I connected with through that. Um, and that was nice, too. Finding that you had found some people that understood your situation was good. So, all Did in you all, participate in uh, viewing other films at the film festival? I, uh, the only one I had time to do was this one. So I did have time and I watched a bunch of films at this film festival. Oh, I see. Okay. So you, all right. And how, how was that experience for you as a viewer? Um, I would say in this one, it was very interesting because I was faced with the same choices that other people were faced with about what to watch. I have limited time in my weekend. What, what, what am I going to watch? And I found myself drawn to the shorts because I could watch a lot of shorts at once and get an idea for what things were like. And I enjoyed that because it didn't take a ton of my time. And I felt like I was kind of getting a broad overview of the film festival. Um, I only watched two of the feature films and um, those two feature films were while good in content were not very award winning in my opinion in that there were issues with story there were issues with production value there were issues with there were a lot of issues that our film doesn't struggle with and um, one of those films while it had beautiful cinematography and it had an intriguing concept it won the award for the special focus documentary of this film festival and i found what does that special focus mean um it means it was a narrow, a very narrow focus. So let's say you're working to um, end, you know, you're working to end dirty water. You're, you're promoting clean water and you're describing what all the problems are with that. That's a special focus documentary on clean water. Um, and so, but, but it could be argued, you know, mine was a special focus on the French people you know, the misunderstood French people. So where do you draw the line between what's a special focus documentary and what isn't? I have no idea. Again, I say that from what I've kind of seen, I don't, nobody gives their rubric for who wins what award. And I think just like it is subjective for who gets into film festivals, it's probably subjective for who wins awards. Oh, absolutely based on who the judges I, are. I've told this story a bunch of times, but I remember when I first learned that the Academy members who vote on the Oscars are not required to view any of the films to vote, yeah. which yeah. <laughs> blew my mind. Like that made 
zero sense. I would be like, okay, be an Academy member, but abstain from that category if you haven't seen all the films. Yeah. But no, yeah. I'm like you, like what the heck? <laughs> well, and the other thing that's interesting is that, you know, I was a SAG member. Well, I am a SAG member actually. And as a SAG member, you're sent all of the films that are nominated for awards so that you have the opportunity to watch them for free. So it's not like it's super difficult to watch the films that are nominated, number one. Right. Number two, um, there is a huge lobbying campaign on, the, on behalf of the publicists for each film. So it's almost like the more money you have, the more you can publicize your film, the better chance you have of being selected as, you know, the favorite or whatever. So, you know, in if, the end, if Sky Jatani was on this podcast right now, this is where he would chime in about the election or something. Because right? <laughs> <Yeah>, <laughs> well, I don't know who Sky Jatani is. You got to listen to the movie proposal or the Holy Post uh, podcast. <laughs> but sorry, Christian, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I just, I found that whole thing pretty fascinating. And I also found it fascinating as I look across the spectrum of the festivals that we have already been in the different personalities of the festival. And I really think they reflect the personalities and the people of the visionaries and the founders of the festivals and the directors of the festivals. Uh, because I do find the festivals themselves to match uh, what the directors and the founders are like in personality. That's just been my limited experience. So before we uh, started recording, we were talking about uh, some lessons in, you know, communication or, or not being clear on the same page. And you can't share all the details because your, your hands are tied in, in communicating some of the details, but maybe you could share some of the lessons that you've learned over the, even over the last week. <laughs> oh, I've been on the same page. Yeah, I've learned a lot this past week. It's been interesting. Um, and I definitely want to bring these things up because I think uh, any first-time filmmaker needs to be aware of these. The first one is when I was when I was watching these films at the La Femme Film Festival, uh, at one point I saw a trailer of a film. It was 86 Melrose Avenue. And it looked very Hollywood to me, like not indie related. And so, and I even recognized some of the actors. I'm like, how did that film get in here? And so I Googled it and there it was. And yes, it was indeed a pretty big budget film. And they had already posted, they won the award for the best film of the festival. Well, the words weren't supposed to be announced until Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central. And I was like, what? How is that possible? So I started Googling some other films and I saw that they were listed as uh, nominees for the best award, best short award or best. And I was like, what? They've already like people already know they've either won or they've been nominated. Like how? That's not fair. And, you know, I think they just wanted us to come to the awards because the ones that I saw were nominated or award won the award did. Well, that made me realize that, you know, there is probably more going on behind the scenes than I realized at that particular festival where the awards were to begin with. But second of all, um, I noticed that films were automatically putting up the awards they had won. And I was like, 
oh my gosh, I have four. I never even thought about putting our awards up. Or or I had thought at the time that when you won, the film festival put up the award. And so I immediately went in IMDb, there is a events place. And so you go to IMDb, you search for IMDb events, and under the events is every film festival and every award thing. So then I checked the events and the film festivals that we were in, and my film wasn't on any of those. So then I was like, wait a minute, what's happening here? Why isn't my film under here? And I realized that you have to enter it yourself. So uh, so I went ahead and entered our awards and you have to put a website for them to verify them and all of those other things. So within three days, our awards were added, but that was something that I learned that I did not know. And I was happy to have learned that. And the other thing that I learned is that in our discussions with uh, these distributors, It is super important that you communicate your need for joint communication. So I've said to them, you know, when this deal happens, there needs to be clear communication about when we're going to communicate a deal has been signed. And the reasons are, it does affect, so for example, for Chagrin, we were asked, have you signed a distribution deal because distribution is one of the awards of this festival? And we hadn't signed a distribution deal. So I said, no, we have not signed a distribution deal. And so I continued to be included in that award formula and ended up winning. I really feel strongly that if I had said, we've already signed a deal that there's a good chance I would not have been given the award because we already had a distribution deal. So, you know, it's just film festivals generally do not care if there is a distributor unless distribution is a prize and then it can affect you. And so, you know, I'm paying a publicist. We've got social media people. It's just super important that you're on the same page with your, uh, you know, distribution company or anybody that you're doing business with that you walk and stride together as far as releasing information. So that's another thing I learned this week. Then the last thing I learned this week is that one of the distribution deliverables um, is that you have to show your copyright for your film. And usually it's and or Uh, a a WGA, Writers Guild of America, you know, registration number. So we had not done that. I had asked our um, IP lawyer quite some time back after he did the title search. I'd asked him, do I need to get a copyright or what's the deal? And I didn't end up hearing back from him. Again, he's volunteering, so I'm sure it wasn't top, uh, top of his priority. But now I do need to have it filed with the Library of Congress and get a copyright. And I started doing this this week, and it is a bear. And I quickly got in way above my head because it's all sorts of, like, I couldn't answer one simple question, which is, if your piece of art is published or unpublished, there's a different set of things you have to do. And you would think that 
my film had been published. Except one of the rules is your film is published if you have something made to sell and you're making money for it. Well, that's not happening for me. We have we have put it on public display, which is not the same as publishing it. It's on public display and money is changing hands, but it doesn't go to me. It goes to the film festivals. So am I published or unpublished? I don't know. And when I called to ask the Library of Congress that, they couldn't give me a definitive answer. And I said, why can't you give me a definitive answer? And it's because I'm in this gray area and that's a legal question and they're not lawyers. So I quickly realized, well, I better be. And the other thing is, you know, it takes a long time to get this done. Well, we want to release next June. So we don't have a lot of time left. And if you make a mistake or if they are questioning something, it draws out the time. So it's really important that you fill it out correctly in the very beginning so that it doesn't draw out time. So that was a bit overwhelming for me this week, and I'm still trying to figure out. It's going to cost money. You do have to, there's an electronic way or you send it in with paper. The paper way, of course, takes far longer. But with the electronic way, you do have to upload your script, and you, but you also have to send in a hard copy of your work. And you have to send it on something that will last for 70 years because your co- your copyright will last for 70 years. So uh, I'm thinking I'm probably going to send in a DVD and a file, like a flash drive. Um, but again, that's another distribution cost, you know, that you need to figure in because you're paying for the Library of Congress, you're paying for the WGA, you're paying uh, for the DVD or the flash drive to send, and you're paying for shipping. So people often wonder where, you know, why do I keep asking for money? And it's because I keep finding out uh, of new things I have to pay for, uh, as well as the fact that I still haven't paid all the people who've done work for me. So, so there you have it. It's been quite the learning lesson this week. So do you still have a business manager? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I do. This business- why, why, why isn't your business manager doing all this stuff? Great question. Uh, my business manager uh, was out of town last week. He went to Colorado <laughs> to tie up a few loose ends. But I, I, don't think, I, I don't think he has that many vacation days, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't actually. Um, yeah. No, he really, uh, he, as soon as he came back, uh, yesterday, or actually came back this morning, I'm like, I have a serious problem with the Library of Congress. So it's that's like a dollar for. It's like one step off of Nick Cage, you know, <laughs> like we have to steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> I have a serious problem with the Library of Congress. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that movie. Great, great movie. National. So Park. great. So great. Um, so anyway, yes, I'm going to have to get Hunter involved in helping me in that situation. But I just want to throw that out there because 
uh, again, you know, this is a first time filmmaker's journey. I'm hoping that I can spare people from finding this out the hard way. Um, now, the interesting thing is you can't really file for a copyright until your film is finished, you know, and you have a final script that you can submit to the WGA and you can submit to the Library of Congress. And until you have an actual hard copy of your film and so, yes, I probably could have started this process back in June or July. I'm not that far behind the eight ball as far as that goes. So, um, it's just something to keep in mind. And I do think we're going to end up, like, I don't want to just, even if Hunter could figure it out, I don't want to just do it without a lawyer being like, being double checking it and making sure that I did it right. Um, because it's a super important thing. This copyright uh, application, you know, if it's accepted, gives me a copyright for 70 years for exactly what I've submitted. And like I, the where I got in the application that was over my head was it started asking me for things that the copyright doesn't cover. So in my film, you know, and it asked me things like s- script or music or photographs or video. Well, I have a lot of National Archives photos in my film which are public domain. But how do I handle that? You know, I have no idea. That's, a, that's another gray area. It's free to use them. But is that, can I put that as part of my copyright or do I have to list every single photo as outside of the copyright? I don't know. So there are legal questions like that that I'm not going to be able to answer that I do think I'm going to have to. And in my case, I have a podcast volunteer who did um, volunteer to help us, like I said, but um, not everyone will. So then you have to pay a lawyer on top of that to do that work or double check that work. So I have two questions. The first one is really particular about um, copyright. Are copyrights one of those things that are publicly available? Like you can go look at previously made ones. Mm-hmm. So could you go look at a at like a Ken Burns documentary that's copyrighted and see what they submitted? Is there any way to see that sort of stuff? I don't, or is that kind of locked behind? I can't answer that completely. What I can say is whatever you put on this application. So like if I put my name, Christian Taylor and Taylor Productions as the one filing for this copyright, that sort of information is viewable to the public because I had to sign off on that when I started this application and accept that that information is going to be public. My guess is, you know, it's not going to show you how to fill out the form. (laughs) It'll give you some information because everybody need a patent lawyer or a copyright lawyer needs to be able to research um, that sort of stuff to get some basic information when they're doing work for clients. So some of it, basic information has to be public. I doubt all of it will be. Okay. So that That's, was question. Yeah. yeah. So then, then my other question is I've heard when it comes to the WGA and registering your script that, that's so there's there's two things i've heard about that <laughs> is that one it doesn't matter till it matters <laughs> is, the, is the thing that i've heard and then the other thing is uh that it's something that amateurs do because they think that that protects them and it doesn't and so i'm curious 
what because I've heard both of these things and I'm like, but which one is true? So right. you've landed on you need to do it. I'm curious well, so what, what led I'll you to say, that decision. Right. What I'll say is um, the thing that protects you legally is your copyright from the Library of Congress. Right. That's what protects you legally. Now, you know, the other thing that I do know, and this is from a lawyer, once it's written in an email or some sort of document, it is there is a common copyright. Like, it is there. You know, we've published lots of things on our website. We could make an argument that just by making it and publishing it, there is a common copyright, right? Right. But um, so... But in order for things to really be ironclad, you have to go through this process with the Library of Congress. And that is different than the WGA. And the WGA, according to distributors, you know, it's something that they're requiring. And I think perhaps it's just to, you know, rule out any problems. And also, for each film, you have to take out errors and omissions insurance. And that's if anybody sues you for anything, you have insurance to cover that problem. And I think these are two elements that lower your risk. And so, therefore, lower your errors and omissions insurance cost. The higher your risks, like you can still produce your film if you don't have every everything lined up the way that it should with rights and permissions, but the higher, you know, the higher your risk, the more it's going to take to ensure your film. So I think having those two things, the Library of Congress and the WGA is what lessens your risk. Okay, perfect. That's really helpful. Thank you. An imperfect answer, (laughs) but there is not going to be any harm by registering your script with the WGA. Right. Okay. Um, you know, Christian, you're an artist, but you seem to have a good grasp of all, all these things, at least a willingness to learn and then to retain the information and, and be able to successfully move forward. That seems unique in the world of artists who, you know, right brain, left brain, like I'm good at one thing, I can't do the other. Uh, it, it just seems like you're, you're an anomaly where it seems like most artists who are making a film would need to have other people do these kinds of things. Well, that's an interesting point, Josh. And when I was, um, when I was filling out this library of Congress thing, I sat there and went, same thing you did. Why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> certainly <laughs> there are other people that are supposed to be doing this. Why am I doing this? And I have found that I am unique, and I think it may be why I've gotten things as far as I've gotten them, in that I have an entrepreneurial bent. I love starting businesses, and I do have a business brain, per se, which makes me a pretty good producer. Um, I am not detail-oriented, and I'm not exceedingly intellectual, which makes me a producer that has challenges. (laughs) So... If I am going to continue to improve, I'm going to have to learn stuff, but I'm also going to have to get, you know, get to a place where I'm humble enough to say, this is above my head. And in this situation, when you are as cash strapped as we are, there's no other choice. 
So necessity is the mother of invention. You know, I'm begging for donations all the time. I don't have them. So I either have to work, you know, to pay for what I need to do, um, pray that God brings it, uh, and then do whatever work I can do where I don't, you know, have to pay somebody to do it. So I just think I, I don't ever quit. I don't ever quit. Whenever there is a challenge, I just keep trying to figure out um, how to skin that cat. And that goes back to what I learned from Ken Burns from the very first. And I highly recommend people watch Ken Burns masterclass if they're interested in making a documentary film. But what he said that inspired me so much is that you as a producer have to become a problem solver that solves a million problems a day. You have to never, ever quit. And and you just have to do it. And so I really took that to heart. And that's all I can say. It is, it is all a hard challenge for me because I am a creative at heart. I am not a business person. So it, it takes me four times as long to do any of the business stuff as the creative. Well, I, my experience of either having my own business or reading about other people having their own businesses. I mean, that's, I think it's par for the course where it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's necessary for you to do things you are not gifted at or prone to do. It's out of necessity. And then you're going to make sure it gets done because you're the owner. And eventually, you know, you can get to a point where you can pay other people to do that and so forth. And that's the idea long-term, but to even get your film off the ground or the business or your production company, whatever it is, uh, you got to be doing everything. You really do. This is, I mean, this is whole project has confirmed to me that this is absolutely no different than starting any small business in America. The same concepts for opening a flower shop to, you know, a, a banking business to a restaurant, you know, whatever small business you can think of, the principles of small business apply to making a film just like they do anywhere else. And, if you don't partner with a Roy Disney and you don't have that access, you have to do it yourself or learn to do it yourself or you're not going to do it. Um, and I, that's why I said once Hunter came on board and Hunter started bringing that business uh, you know, acumen that I don't have, I realized, holy cow, there really should be a business person. He thought of things and has said things that I would have never thought of. So I just can't stress strongly enough for creative people, have a business team early on, whether it's family members or uh, or other business, um, you know, mentors, bring them on board because you certainly need that kind of expertise. And once for my next project, I will not do this. I have reached my boundary, like for the next (laughs) one. I know now what I don't know, what I'm not gifted at. And if I'm going to go forward, um, my next project, I will not be funding myself, (laughs) nor will I be doing every job. Um, I will make sure to find funding to pay people to do the stuff right the first time. Lessons learned by Christian Taylor. All right. But I have to say... Don't stop. Like, don't stop. If you're listening to this, I don't want to discourage you. If you are listening to this and you're like, but, but I'm just starting out, don't stop. Just keep going. 
it has been a good experience, and I'm glad I kind of learned things the hard way. Now I know them. Now I can help other people. Now I can do things differently. So I don't want to say any of this to discourage you and say, just stop what you're doing until you get all your ducks in a row. Ken Burns just said, just go out and do it. Just get started. So, yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is is because you've got you've done so much of it, you you know, the people you partner with in the future, you'll be able to tell. Yeah. Are they doing it right? Do they know what they're doing? Right. Otherwise, if you don't, you just trust people blindly. Like, well, I guess they said, you know. Have you ever talked to anybody that started in McDonald's and ended up being a manager or an owner of something? It's sort of like actually Primerica for you, Josh. You had to start at the very beginning learning how to get people on your team, right? And you have to learn every aspect of the business so that you could operate at a managerial level or an owner level for whatever your business was. And I I think that concept applies here. By doing all of this, I really do understand what each department is going, what kind of person I need to hire next time to make that department succeed and thrive. So... That's why I keep saying I want to do over. I want to do another film. <laughs> <laughs> well, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to hear what it is. So, But until then, we're still out in film festivals, working on distribution. Soon we're going to hear about distribution. I can't wait. I know you got something exciting yes. to yes. announce eventually. Um, anything we need to wrap up? Before, yes. Before we so this up? podcast will come out. Uh, today is October 21st. When we're recording, this podcast is going to come out on Friday, October 30th. On November 3rd, Hunter and I are leaving to go to Cedar City, Utah for the Red Rock Film Festival. And we're still learning what virtual options there are for Red Rock. But I already know we will be screening three times there. And we will be screening... Um, all of these dates are at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash festivals. Uh, and I will also be speaking on a panel about how to earn the trust of veterans and uh, their participation, as well as, um, you know, other producer-related questions like that. So I'm really looking forward to that experience. They're treating it like a typical, normal, in-person film festival. So I'm interested to see how that's going to go. So that will be November 4th through the, I think, 11th. And then uh, that right now, my friends, is the end of our film festival run. We haven't gotten any other acceptances after that. However, we do have over 50 film festivals still to hear back from. So there may be a lull during December, maybe even into January, but then I do expect us having some um, late winter, early spring festivals before hope we hopefully release next June. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well you're doing a great job, Christian. Very excited for you and I uh, can't wait to hear about Red Rock. Yeah. So, uh, and everyone, I want to say thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less. So anything helps. 
Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.